Are you an accredited investor looking for a new opportunity to generate passive income and build the retirement of your dreams? Then elevate your investment game with Viking Capital, where wealth meets wisdom. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, Viking Capital can help guide you towards financial freedom through passive real estate investing. With strong and transparent underwriting, Viking identifies low-risk opportunities with the goal of preserving investor capital and maximizing long-term growth potential. And their accessible and responsive investor relations team will help you understand how each investment will impact your unique financial goals. With $800 million in assets acquired, more than $230 million in equity raised, and more than 5,000 units under management, Viking Capital is your path to early retirement. To learn about Viking Capital's latest investment opportunity, which is available for you right now, visit go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best. That's go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best to get started today. Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, Promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Pick partners wisely. And I've had a lot of good partners. Nothing, nothing bad to say about any partners, but... Obviously, some can take you a lot farther than others. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest-running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm with today's guest, Michael Neiman. Michael is joining us from Columbus, Ohio, he is a principal attorney at Neiman Law LLC, which works on real estate legal matters with a focus on multifamily acquisitions. Michael's portfolio consists of being a GP on 51 units and five duplexes. Michael, thank you for joining us. And how are you today? Ash, doing great today. How about yourself? I'm very well. Thanks for asking. Michael, before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Yeah, so I'm a real estate attorney here in Columbus, Ohio, servicing primarily all of Ohio. Additionally, I love real estate, which is why I went into the field. I started acquiring some properties and plan on doing a few more in the future. So just started my own firm about a year and a half ago and looking to expand in the coming years. Did you work for someone else out of law school or did you go right into your own firm? I did. I worked for another firm here in Columbus and Cleveland, Ohio for about 
four years through law school and after law school. So I learned a ton from those guys. They were great. Everyone on the team over there were, were great mentors in helping me get to where I'm at today. Why did you pick real estate as your focus area for law? It's kind of funny. I, I used to work with my brother-in-law in criminal defense work, and I decided that that was not the realm I wanted to go in. I wanted to go off and have drinks with my clients and enjoy spending time with them. And his clients weren't necessarily the <laughs> people I wanted to do that with. So uh, kind of led me into real estate, which I also had a, a more long-term interest in investing in and developing this portfolio over some time. You couldn't do happy hours with people in the pen, huh? I could. It might, it might get <laughs> using in the prisons, but. <laughs> yeah. So a real estate attorney and you see a lot of investors, you evaluate a lot of deals. What's your specific role? Is it just general real estate law? Is it helping people out of sticky situations or helping on the acquisition side? The role kind of changes with each client. So I can either be as actively involved in projects or as slightly more limited, just depending on who the client is. So time to time, I review pro formas and get comments on it. But most of the time, my job is to get through contract negotiations, through financing, through due diligence, all of those things that come along with a real estate transaction. Additionally, outside of just multifamily investments, I do do litigation as well. Pretty much anything related to real estate I can work on. So it's a broad scope. I do see a lot. I have a lot of interesting conversations and I do really like love how uh, my clients that kind of have to peel back the covers and show me what's going on in their companies. And everyone does things a little bit differently, which is interesting to see. So you really get a, a good balance of people doing things one way, other people doing things the other way. I can't share all that information amongst my clients, but luckily I can see it all. So I got some of the knowledge. Yeah. You know, Michael, way back in the day, we sat down with my attorney and I asked him if he has to review every PSA, every LOI that we do, because that's going to get expensive. And he's like, look, I don't have to, but I should, because when you get into trouble is when it really starts costing money. We could avoid that by having the attorneys in on the front end. What are common mistakes that you see people that cause themselves to get in trouble on the purchase side of things? I would say one common mistake is uh, just depending on how complex the deal may get, they're not thinking about the timeframes enough and money going hard on certain dates is one thing I see. Another issue that has kind of come up a few times is when we get creative with the sellers, providing seller financing in the second position or constantly staying in the deal. You really need to have all those terms ironed out at the time you execute the PSA or else two, three months down the road when you're trying to iron them out, there's disagreements, heads clash, it gets very confrontational. And we've still gotten every deal done. I've never had one fall apart and not close. And, you know, yeah, it not would, but I'm sure if I do this long enough, I'm going to see one or two of those happen over time. Michael, what are common mistakes that you see sellers making? I have not actually represented too many sellers. Most of my clients have been buying. That being said, those same clients, they have exited some assets. And I don't want to say we haven't made any mistakes yet, but I haven't ran into any quite yet. On the sales side, it's a lot easier, is what I would say, than when you're buying. When you're purchasing, you have a bunch of moving pieces of parts. You need a lineup to get to the closing table. On the sales side, you really care about getting a certain price. 
at a certain date. And there's not too much in between. It's, it's really about just making sure that the buyer can get to the closing table. I'd probably say just when you're vetting buyers, the highest offer may not always be the best offer. The group comes in and they're not as well known and they don't have as good of a background, although they may be offering you know, a million dollars more. If they can't get to the closing table, that extra million dollars doesn't do you any good. You may waste a lot of time and energy going through DD, trying to get to a closing with them. And ultimately, you just have to start the process over again. What do you say to somebody like me that went up to the attorney and said, look, I've done this for 10 years. I've read a lot of PSAs. I've written a lot. Why do I need an attorney? Exactly what your prior attorney said. It's the one time that you don't review it, that you get in trouble, that you're going to be shaking your head saying, you know, I should have spent a few hundred bucks just letting me look it over. Every transaction's a little bit different, slightly different, and there's some nuances in the PSA. I have clients who try to do it themselves at times, and it's came back to an It just makes things more difficult as you go throughout the transaction. So I would say you spend a little bit of money up front. It makes everyone's life easier to get to the closing table. Yeah, and I wholeheartedly agree with that because I've had attorneys trying to help me out in situations where they wished I engaged them sooner. I buy a lot of commercial properties from residential realtors that love using the residential MLS listing agreement, whatever, the contract, right? And I've signed so many of those that I didn't think too much of that. But typically it says seller warrants. This is not in a floodplain. This one contract happened to say to the best of seller's knowledge, and I've never seen that before or since. And I had to exit that purchase agreement because it was in a floodplain ended up losing my earnest money, but yeah, the devil's in all the details. So Michael, you see a lot of lucrative deals that your clients are doing. Are you inclined to do what they're doing as well? Get into multifamily, get into different real estate assets? Yeah, I definitely am. And long-term goals right now is A, growing the law firm and B, kind of in tandem with that, trying to grow this real estate portfolio. The one most recent deal we did, one of my clients actually found it. It was too small for them. So they passed on it and let one of the partners there kind of run with it. Who's also my friend. And we ended up doing it together and it was a 51 unit down in Louisville. So they've kind of advanced past that size. We're doing, I think they're at like 80, 90, 100 plus unit properties only at this point. So they're just trying to scale up and, and really go for it. Did you raise money for that deal? We did. So the principles, we contributed about 25% of the money and then we raised about 75%. And it was roughly a $4 million purchase, so roughly a million dollar raise. Was it a friends and family raise? You know, it was. And it was, I don't want to say shockingly easy, but three quarters of a million dollars comes together pretty quickly with people in the real estate industry. It's so-and-so sold an asset, so-and-so has all this money sitting on the sidelines, stock market's uncertain. We're paying a pretty good pref on it too. So that was lucrative to a lot of people to come into the deal. What's your pref? 10%, 10%. Okay. Another reason why I wanted to invest in there, I appreciate the 10% interest rate that we're returning on. Absolutely. Now that you've raised money on your first deal, knowing you're probably going to raise money on future deals, are you doing something to prime the pump? Not really yet. So I have a lot of conversations with a lot of different clients and 
I think if I ever expanded it to kind of my client network, we could get it done pretty quickly and easily. So I think it just depends on the situation, what comes in, who's a good fit for it. I have some clients who have a few hundred single family or duplex units trying to scale up into that bigger space. But these people have been doing it for 20, 30 years. And they're, I don't want to say they have an empty pot or unlimited pockets, but they have some money that they could put to work in a quarter million dollars here probably isn't a big ask for them. And they're already in the space. So I think just going through the network and going about it that way would be the way I would attack it. We'll get back to the show with a first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. It's no secret that everyone is trying to find a recession-proof investment right now. What if you could invest in one of the most recession-resilient asset classes of the last 25 years with one of the best teams in the U.S.? Self-storage is that asset class, and Reliant Real Estate Management is that team. Reliant Real Estate Management is the 17th largest storage operator. They have sold over $1 billion in self-storage assets and have lost no investor principal with the average project level. IRR of 33% in the last three years. Right now, you can be one of the first to invest in their next fund at ReliantFund4.com. Fund 4 is a $100 million equity fund with seven properties already identified to close before the end of 2022. If you're an accredited investor, visit ReliantFund4.com to download the investment summary and schedule a call with Reliant's experience team. That's ReliantFund4.com, R-E-L-I-A-N-T-F-U-N-D-F-O-U-R.com. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive Investing investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. All right. I'm going to make some assumptions here. One, I think you've got the real estate bug. (laughs) Do you find yourself looking for deals all the time and kind of browsing through listings? Daily, every day. Okay. Fourth, writing offers. Sometimes low-balling, just depending on how strong it is, but yes. Okay, so if you're doing that as a pastime, you've definitely got the real estate bug because you could be on TikTok, you could be on social media screwing around. Instead, you're browsing listings, making offers. I'm going to suggest that you prime the pump with everybody you know, just in case this thing takes off, right? And my guess is it will. So what would you say if I suggested creating a newsletter not just a family and friends, but clients as well. Kind of blend what you're doing with legal, give them tips, advice, blend some of your personal life, and then blend what you're doing with real estate. And now you're seen as, wow, this guy's an investor, attorney, all the above, right? What do you think? I think you hit it right on the head and it's something that's definitely in the works. The day-to-day has been a little hectic, getting deals done for, for myself and clients. So. Working on building out a team has been, I don't want to say a struggle, but with any new business, it's tough to 
roll and scale and, and figure out all the different things that come with it, office space, and this and that. Where people are going to work, but starting to find some good people to help support the team. And I think they believe in the goal and the long-term vision and the newsletter will happen. Company events will happen, hosting happy hours, golf outings, things like that. I think we'll go a long way, especially here in Columbus. We have a pretty tight real estate community. We're a big city, but everyone seems to know everyone in the real estate space. So the, the more integrated to that network and the more clients that are kind of feeding off the, the legal side of my firm and also they're interested in potentially doing deals together. So I think it, it'll go a long way in the future. Yeah, you're right in the middle of all things networking with real estate. Good for you. What's your best real estate investing advice ever? My best ever real estate investing advice, I would probably say to pick partners wisely. And I've had a lot of good partners. Nothing nothing bad to say about any partners, but obviously some can take you a lot farther than others. So I always like to joke that I don't know how to use a hammer. I am not a construction guy. I don't know how to do anything of that nature. So one of the partners I work with here in Columbus, he's a simple engineer. He could probably build a house with his bare hands if he needed to. So just finding people that you sync with and have good synergies is really powerful and getting deals done and going along the way. Michael, I got to share a story with you. My very first syndication that I invested in was seven years ago, probably a hundred page PPM. And like a good student, I brought it to my attorneys and I said, Hey, look at this. And they're like, what do you want us to do with this? And I'm like, tell me if I should sign it. And they're like, these things are so one-sided that the operator can do whatever they want short of being malicious or negligent. And you don't have a lot of recourse. Is that the case with most PPMs? Yeah, you'll, you'll see that a lot. The GPs, the principals, they need to be able to control the deal. And I don't know how many people invested in that one, but you can't have 20, 30 people raising their hand and voting up things. It becomes very cumbersome for the project to actually happen. So the principal, you need to put a certain level of trust in them. That being said, there are certain restrictions that may be in there and every deal is a little bit different, but the principals really do have the ultimate control to do the project. And if they make decisions based on their business judgment, it may or may not be a good decision. It could cost the company money. And so long as it's a reasonable decision, typically there's no recourse against them. They're operating in a business fashion in which they think makes sense. So there's very little you can do to go after them for that, unless it's egregious or negligent or something like that. Yeah, interesting. Can you talk at all about how you see clients incorrectly and correctly structuring their entities, their deals, their personal assets? Without legal advice given, we'll just throw that out there. Yeah, this is not legal advice. (laughs) Um, One thing I tell a lot of people, especially when they're first getting started out, is to not overcomplicate things. Some of these structures I've seen for developments and projects It's a full-page PDF with 30 entities on it, and it can get very complex when you really get into the larger deals. But for someone starting out or a year into it, my best advice is to keep it simple. And most of the time, for me in Ohio, my Ohio-based investors, it's a matter of registering an Ohio-based entity to operate out of. And a question I get a lot is, well, if I have three properties, should I have three separate entities? And 
The legal answer I would give is you should, because now you are separating the potential liability from the three properties. So they're kind of siloed with each individual unit. The practical answer I give as a real estate investor is I don't want to eventually have 30 different entities that just becomes cumbersome because truly you should have different bank accounts. Then you start getting different insurance policies and your agent sends the wrong name on different properties. It just becomes tedious. And in my opinion, that would be cumbersome. So getting started on it, to keep it simple. As you advance further, I'd recommend you know, meeting with the accountant and the attorney maybe once a year or once semi-annually just to make sure everything that's doing aligns with the long-term goals of the company so that you can identify any issues that you might have in, in the structure for the long run. Yeah. Thank you for the breakdown on the legal versus practical approach. I know people that starting out had this crazy structure where there's an S corp that reports to a C corp and somehow they think they're getting some tax benefits, but in all honesty, at the end of the day, it's income. And when there's income, it's getting taxed. Exactly. And another thing I see a lot is Wyoming LLCs and, and Delaware LLCs. And in my opinion, especially if you only have a few small units here in, in Ohio, there's no need to have a Delaware LLC involved. A lot of annual fees associated with it. Here in Ohio, when you register an entity, it's $99 up front. And that's it. There's no more future fees. So we live in a pretty real estate friendly state in that sense where you can set things up cheaply for the long run and you're not going to run into all these fees for your few units you may be dealing with. Yeah, that is great advice. Michael, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Yeah, definitely. Michael, what is the best book you recently read? Recently, I read The One Thing. I forget the author's name. It's escaping me at this time. Gary uh, Keller. Yep. And that book was great for me because doing a lot of different things and could go in a lot of different directions and trying to you know, flip single family homes to duplexes and things like that versus trying to focus more on simply building a law firm and bigger asset portfolio. So it helps me narrow down and really focus on what's important versus spending a bunch of time, wasting time on these smaller projects is what I would say. Michael, that's an interesting point. So you're trying to scale both your legal practice and potentially a real estate business as well. What lessons have you learned about scaling and what have you seen that's worked for some of your clients? I would say the biggest lesson I've learned is getting good people in place. And my one client who started to grow pretty quickly, really building a team and a culture is important for them and it has helped them. Both from, I think they bought their first commercial 24 unit about 18 months ago. I think they're north of like six, 700, 800 units now. So they're really growing quickly. And it takes a team of people to do that. You're not going to do it on your own. And you got to rely on people and trust other people. So that's what I would say. Yeah, it took me a lot of years to learn that one. Michael, what's the best ever way you like to give back? The best ever way I like to give back every year, I ride in the hearing Columbus, it's called Pelotonia. It's a bike ride race for cancer research. So it's actually coming up this Saturday. So we're riding 57 miles to raise money for cancer research at Ohio State University. Good luck to you. And the weather is looking very favorable for Saturday. I hope so. I thought I saw some rain. Um, I'm not much, much of a cyclist. So last time <laughs> I rode was last year in the event. So it should be. Wow. 57 miles and you haven't ridden in a year. Exactly. <laughs> oh. Good luck, man. Good for you. 
And Michael, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? Uh, LinkedIn's probably the best. I'm not a big social media guy. I haven't had time to really focus on that, build that out. But either my website, neiman law would be a good place to find me. And you can type in any questions you can have, and it just comes right to my email. Additionally, my LinkedIn, if you just search my name, find me there. We can connect there. Michael, thank you for your time today. I know you're very busy, but you gave us some great insights on what it's like from the attorney's perspective on real estate deals. So thank you for sharing your time with us today and good luck to you on your real estate ventures. Once you scale a little bit, would love to have you back and let's dive into that more. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Ash. Thanks for the time today. Awesome. Best ever listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review, share the podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day.